gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Cortellinish podcast. Today I will be speaking to uh, Mark Rodden, a Dublin-based uh, announcer who commentates on a number of different leagues, one of which is the Portuguese league. Um, looking at his CV right now, it seems like he's already, he's got more than just football, so probably discuss a lot, but we're going to keep it to Portuguese football. How are you today, Mark? Yeah, good. Looking forward to uh, another big round of matches this weekend. So, now, before we discuss Portuguese football, you know, I, a lot of people who listen to Portuguese, they are they they are aspiring journalists, but I think a lot of them as well are aspiring commentators. Talk to me a little bit about your path in the industry. You know, how did you find yourself uh, with this career? What are some pieces of advice you would give to our listeners today? Where do I start? Uh, so I did journalism at a language in, in college and I did uh, French and spent time on exchange in Paris and then ended up, ended up living there for uh, five years or so full time and worked for Eurosport over there among other places. And um, that's kind of how I got into commentary um, because they had Bundesliga uh, writes in English in the English service over there and just kind of started off doing co-commentary and then more and more got into commentary that way I guess thinking back maybe I was always going to be on this path because um, I remember as just a memory that came back to me like a year or two ago of uh, myself and a friend uh, recording impersonations of like John Motson on the BBC who was one of the big commentators for us growing up and like you know doing uh, fake goal calls and that kind of thing so um yeah I just kind of fell into it I didn't I didn't I always wanted to work in sport I guess but uh specifically commentary was a was uh just a path I kind of fell into almost but now I love it I, I really love doing it love getting to see so many matches and uh especially I'm I'm kind of fortunate as well because I get to do so many different leagues um in terms of advice I always say you make your own look a lot of the time. Um, so if you're passionate enough about something, you will hopefully uh, end up end up working where you want to be. Or you know, there's there's a lot more ways to get into the industry now. I know people say it's kind of tough, but you know, you can do a podcast, you can work in a social media account of a club or a, whatever whatever way you want to go. And um, just back yourself and, and be passionate in terms of commentary. I always say I prefer, well, we were always told, you know, let the game breathe and, um, uh, you know, just, I'm always conscious. I probably do it too much. Anyway, I do a lot of solo commentaries and I would be conscious that I don't want to talk too much. Um, because as I've heard someone say before, you have to let the viewer have their own opinion as well. You know, it's not about you and I don't necessarily like editorializing too much as I go on, on commentaries and that as well. So, um, you mentioned, you know, learning Portuguese in college, sorry, learning <laughs> college. I, I learned Portuguese uh, in college. I'm seeing here on your bio that you have French, German, Italian, quite an impressive resume. Where does Portuguese football fall? You know, how did you, um, shall we say how did you catch the bug for portuguese football 
I guess a, a lot of the, the work I would do is, is kind of world feed. So some of it just falls into your lap. Um, so a few of the companies that I work for, you know, which, rights would change from, from year to year. I did a lot of Belgian football in the past as well, for example. I still do work on the Bundesliga website. Um, so Portuguese football, I remember growing up watching Euro goals was the, the main show on, on Eurosport on a Monday, I think it was, which had a roundup of all the leagues around Europe, you know, and we used to get that on basic TV over here. So you'd have a, a 45, 30, 45 minute show where you get the best goals, uh, you know, all, all the all the main games from around Europe. And I just remember, uh, you know, watching the likes of Mario Jardel when he was banging them in for a couple of different teams in, in Portugal. Um, and then Ireland played Portugal a few times as well. So um, we uh, had a, a couple of good battles. We beat them at home in, in Euro 96 qualifying, got absolutely hammered uh, in the end away from home. It was 3-0, but Rui Costa, look it up. Uh, I think November 1995 scored this incredible goal. Um, and we played them again, World Cup 2002 qualifying, two really, really good games again, two one-all draws. We edged out the Netherlands. So I guess I got into it that way. And um, I was a big Rui Costa fan as well because we had Italian football. Um, we got the, the main English channels over here uh, in Dublin. So Channel 4 used to show Italian games every um, Sunday. And I fell in love with Gabriel Battistuta specifically, but also really cost the part of this this really fun uh, Fiorentina team in the mid '90s. So, yeah, I guess uh, once you get into it, then you're 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 kind of once you're have that broad outlook, loving every league in Europe. Um, it's very easy to to get into Portuguese football, especially when you know some of the teams were were pretty pretty good around around the time I was growing up. You think of that Porto team under Jose Mourinho. And again, a lot of big matches would have been Champions League matches would have been on TV here. A big following for Celtic. They drew Benfica a few times as well. So, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting as well, actually, looking back, another of those um, Ireland-Portugal games featured a Sergio Conceição goal, cutting in from the right, uh, scoring with his left foot. So it's kind of funny. I'm... Uh, commenting on him every week now uh, pretty much watching uh, Porto Portuguese football you know it is definitely a non-stop thing uh just this week you know we've we've seen not just a lot of interesting league fixtures in the second match day of the season but also two uh interesting European qualifiers we're recording this on Friday and in just a few hours Estoril uh, Praia will be hosting Hioav in the first match of the third match day of the Primera campaign. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about these two European qualifiers. Okay, first off, want to discuss Benfica. Um, some interesting dynamics. Benfica uh, trying to repeat their feat of last season when they uh, reached the Champions League group stage from the qualifiers, right? Going from uh, sp beating Spartak Moscow, beating uh, PSV Eindhoven, getting to the group stage, getting all the way to the quarterfinals, trying to see if they can repeat that. They're playing against a Dynamo Kiev side who uh, obviously playing their matches in Poland due to the Russian invasion, um, a team that actually, despite barely playing any competitive football, managed to knock out George Jesus's 
Fenerbach. George Jesus, the same manager who, with Benfica just two years ago, lost to Pauk in the Champions League qualifiers and uh, ended up taking them to the group stage uh, last year. So kind of interesting to see how these paths can sort of uh, intersect one another. Benfica going to Poland, taking a 2-0 victory um, via first half goals from Gilberto and Gonzalo Ramos. Should mention Gilberto opening the scoring in a, in the ninth minute. Um, and this is this is not new at all. Benfica's actually Benfica's league opener saw Gilberto um, open the scoring in the eighth minute. And for, for those of you who, who are not avid Benfica watchers, I just want to reiterate, Gilberto is a 29-year-old right back. And he has currently opened the scoring in Benfica's league opener, as well as a do-or-die clash against Dynamo Kiev within the, next, within the first nine minutes on two occasions. And, you know, that... That could be somewhat of a random stat, but honestly, I think that it's 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 something that's really intriguing because a lot of these goals that we're seeing are, you know, it, it may not be uh, Grimaldo getting Alex Grimaldo getting the assist um, and and Gilberto scoring, but but you're seeing a lot of these kind of both wingbacks getting forward, pushing forward. Um, you're seeing Florentino Luis, the defensive midfielder, almost dropping into a a a, a third center back role alongside Nicolas Otamendi and Morato, allowing the two to push forward. Honestly, it, it's just very it's just very uh, aesthetically pleasing, very fluid on the eye. A lot of players interchanging positions. It's kind of hard to pin out. You know, is Joao Mario the left sided midfielder? Is he the 10 you know it, it's it's very fluid and that's one thing that i've really liked about roger schmidt's system so far um obviously early days for benfica benfica should not be forgotten we're one of three teams last season to enter uh october having won every single match alongside uh, paris saint germain and napoli in europe's major leagues obviously they ended up finishing third finishing trophyless so I think I think that in many ways it, it can humble them and it can make them realize that it kind of going both ways, right? Just because we're perfect through September doesn't mean we've accomplished anything yet. And also, just because we've we we may lose or draw a game doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Um, so overall, I, I'm very I'm very optimistic about this Benfica side. Very excited. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on the Agias. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I really like uh, what I've seen already this season. Uh, he did their opening game against Roca. Um, I know Roca Schmidt from uh, German football had a uh, pretty exciting Bayer Leverkusen team. They went to China, obviously had success with PSG. One sort of uh, interesting stat that came out um, in the last day or two was that it's a year ago today since Benfica got that crucial 2-1 win, or sorry, yesterday, uh, crucial 2-1 win over PSV, Schmidt's PSV in the playoff round. And if you remember, I'm sure a lot of listeners would, uh, that second leg where Benfica had a red card early and really just showed a lot of character. I remember the celebrations at the end, just this kind of epic uh, rearguard action against PSV to hold on, get through to the uh, group stage. I think this year they're going to do it 
you know, without too much difficulty at all, which is um, a pretty good statement, shows how well the new setup is working, perhaps, you know, um, how uh, comfortable a lot of the players are. Maybe a year on with that experience helps, but um, I think they're going to go a lot better in the league as well. Um, I saw Gilberto has been nicknamed somewhere Gilberto Carlos um, because he's popping up with these goals, a reference to Roberto Carlos, the great Brazilian. Um, his first goal in the league was, uh, you mentioned it's not always Grimaldo who set it up, but it was, you know, that left-sided player crossing for Gilberto to, to bomb in late, uh, head home in, in, the, in the league match. And I think he's great. For memory serves, he got one in the playoff or in the third qualifying round against Spartak last year and against Dinamo Kiev in the Champions League as well in the group stage. So he is a player who does pop up with important goals. But I think just in general with Benfica, they look so much better this year. I didn't particularly enjoy watching them last year, i got to say, um, despite obviously Darwin's brilliance. I think they're a much more uh, attractive team to watch this year. I think um, they want to go and, and dominate games and, and look like they will go and dominate games. Obviously, they had, uh, you know, again, you mentioned Dinamo Kiev are good. We, we would have seen the, despite everything that's going on, you know, they were so close to Ukraine to get to the uh, the World Cup. They were good in the Nations League in June as well. A lot of those players play for Dinamo Kiev. Odysseus uh, Vlakorimos made, I think, a couple of good saves in, in, in each half of that one. But I really like um, the fact that Schmidt has brought back Florentino, who, again, listeners will remember, he was one of the players that Bruno Lage brought in in, in January 2018-19. When um, you know that great side with Joao Felix, um, Rafa, Pizzi, um, Jonas was was still knocking around as well. Scored over hundred goals. I think it was one eighteen drew one in the last uh, the back end of that season to win the league. All gone wrong since then. Three trophyless seasons. Um, but Florentino has come back in after two loan spells um, in France and Spain that didn't necessarily work out all that well for him. But he's slotted in nicely. I think uh, Fernandez has been a, a revelation in midfield. Just really, where I thought they struggled in a lot of ways last season was creativity through midfield. They had trapped maybe, but apart from that, there wasn't too much. You know, they were expecting Rafa and and Darwin to to work miracles all the time when they maybe needed a bit more help. And I think David Neres as well is is an upgrade on Everton, who I think had plenty of chances but didn't really light up the, the Portuguese league, perhaps in the way a lot, a lot of um, people would have expected. So I think they're looking really, really good combined with maybe Porto and Sporting losing important players. Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting. And like you say, Benfica have had, I think, a couple of good, not just last season, but even if memory serves the season before, a, a decent start in the league. And it fell away. But I think I think they'll have learned a lot from that and they, and they look much, much better this season. Benfica uh, starting their summer business early, getting uh, selling Darwin Nunez to Liverpool for 75 million euros plus 25 million in add-ons. And that fee has allowed them to splurge heavily on the summer market, bringing in Alexander Ba for competition at the right back position for uh, Gilberto, bringing in Joao Victor from Corinthians in central defense. 
Mihailo Restich joining on a free transfer from Montpellier to provide competition at left back. Um, Enzo Fernandez, probably the signing that I've been the most impressed by, uh, slotting in at central in, in center midfield. David Neres joining in attack, as well as Pitar Musa from Boavista. You know, one thing that I think has been is has been one of the biggest reasons why Benfica have had a flawless start so far is Roger Schmidt seems to understand what his best starting eleven is. You know, you don't often see that from new managers, but it's it's clear cut. We've seen it in preseason. We've seen it in their first few opening matches. Odysseus Vlachodimos starting in goal remains to be seen if they pick up another goalkeeper in the final weeks of the window. Uh, Gilberto getting the nod at right back. Nicolas Otamendi playing alongside Morato in central defense. We'll see what happens once Lucas Verissimo is back from injury. Um, but Otamendi, Morato currently the starting central defensive pairing. Grimaldo playing at left back in what could very well be his final year at the club with um, his contract set to expire in, in 2023. Going into midfield, though, you've got a uh, new recruit, Enzo Fernandez, slotting into uh, the midfield trio alongside Florentino Luis and Joao Mario. So this is interesting. I mean, you've got Joao Mario, a player who arrived uh, from, ben, from, from Sporting and technically from Inter, but after uh, starting in Sporting's first Primera Liga title in 19 years, joining from Benfica, had a decent start um, at the club, but kind of, I think, faded away from, from the first team fold under interim coach Nelson Vrismo in the second half of the season. Seemed like Benfica wanted to sell him. He ended up staying put, wanted to fight for his place, and has been very important uh, so far there as, as well. Um, and you've got another player as well, Florentino Luis. So I recently, this week, I did a thread on, on this situation of defensive midfielder. Uh, Benfica, they want another defensive midfielder. They are targeting the Norwegian midfielder, Frederick Arsnes from Feyenoord. Um, and they're looking to sell either or both of Julian Weigel and Sualiho Mete. Weigel, you know, kind of an interesting career arc at the Estadio de Luz, joins in January uh, 2020 for, I believe, a club record fee of 20 million euros. Um, Benfica at the time, I believe, were seven points ahead of Porto. They ended up losing the title to Porto, uh, who obviously win the domestic double that year. Following season, uh, Sporting win the league title. Weigel wins uh, Benfica's player of the season. Um and the following season as well, Weigel was really the only uh, first choice, only undisputed starter in midfield, would play alongside both Joao Mario as well as Adel Tarapt. Um, and then after, you know, two and a half years pretty much of being a starter, Benfica want to sell Weigel. And ironically, Florentino Luis, the player who has spent the past two seasons on loan at Getafe and Monaco uh, following Weigel's arrival, player who was, you know, coming into his own as this dynamic midfield threat um, at the time of Weigel's arrival. He is back at the club. He is starting and he has relegated Florentino. He has relegated Weigel uh, to a bench warmer status. Weigel still coming off the bench around the 60 minute mark. So there's somewhat, there's, there's a modicum of uh, competition between the two. But you are someone who speaks German. You are someone who 
uh, enjoys German football. Curious, you know, what have you made of Weigel's time at Benfica? Um, what do you think have been perhaps the biggest reasons why Benfica are trying to sell him? You know, a lot of people ask when I did my thread, well, if he's been an undisputed starter all these years, why are Benfica trying to get rid of him? And I don't know, some things that you can't really put your finger on, but I look at Weigel and then I look at players like Joao Paulinha, like Almus Frati, like uh, Mateo Soribe. And I don't know, there's just that that physicality, that uh, that aggression, that it's just, it just seems to me like it's lacking from this game. But talk to me a little bit about both Weigel and Florentino. Why do you feel that Schmidt has chosen uh, to make Florentino his first choice? I think you're probably right, and those comparisons are good as well. Um, to me, uh, you get something. Uh, you, you get a sort of 7 out of 10 with Weigel, but do you ever get an 8 or a 9 out of 10? Um, do you get a um, someone who can contribute in, in more ways than, than, than the way he does? And I, I, I mean, it, 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 it was a bit, it was his problem in Germany as well, I think, you know, because he isn't as physical as some of the guys he mentioned. So what's he there for? He's a, he's a bit of a metronome. He'll, you know, keep things ticking over, but I always like midfielders um, in general or wherever they play to, to offer something a bit more, you know? So if you look at someone like Trapalina, for example, he is this destroyer, but his game has improved so much. He's added a few goals to his game in the last year or two as well. And I would imagine with Benfica, it's a case of, well, what are, what are we going to get from Weigel? What do we want from the team going forward? Um, we don't know what's going on off the pitch as well. Maybe he wants to return to Germany. Uh, he has been linked with a couple of clubs there. Um, and that's, again, yeah, I mentioned creativity through midfield and, and more sort of dynamism through midfield. I always thought was was lacking a bit with Benfica. Having said that, I think he has improved. And obviously that was reflected in uh, him getting a bit of recognition. He's got back in the Germany setup as well to an extent. But it's like I say, Meite is a, a bit similar as well. Just one of those midfielders who, you know, keeps things tidy. But will he really boss a game? And I'm not so sure. Uh, and I think maybe in a league where um, some of these head-to-heads are, are really crucial, that's what Benfica need, you know. Um, even Fernandez coming in, he's, he looks like a guy who's going to get man of the match awards every second week, you know, he, as, as Schmidt said, I think after the first week or two, he said, like, it looks like he's been playing for Benfica for, you know, 10 years. He's just fit in so well. Um, and I think the way Schmidt wants to play, I think he does need someone who's, who is going to be that physical player, who is really going to allow the others around him to flourish. And I think Florentino coming in is a bit more you know, puts himself about a bit more. And I think you mentioned Shua Mario as well. I think he's he is flourishing in this new setup as well because he's he's been freed to um, be a bit more creative. Whereas with Feigl alongside him, maybe he was a bit restricted that way. So I would imagine that he started this way, Schmidt. Uh, I think we will probably see Weigel move on. If not, he's still a pretty good player to have around the squad and can definitely contribute. but. As I say, for those big matches and just in terms of a player's development over two or three years, I want to see him really 
grab control of the game. And I think uh, the way Benfica are going, they need someone like that in midfield to kind of help out so that those great creative players and attackers that they have now will get on the ball more. There are so many other topics that we can discuss with regards to Benfica. I do want to move on, but last Benfica topic before we move on. Um, you know, a lot of, I think, doubt in, in a lot of Benfica's mind as to who will take the mantle from Darwin Nunez, right? Liverpool, uh, Benfica, they sell their top scorer, Darwin Nunez, to Liverpool early on in the window. And immediately they had, they, despite selling him, they had a plethora of center forwards, um, obviously sending Harris Seferovic out to Galatasaray, trying to get rid of Rodrigo Pino last summer's arrival. And even so, they still have quite a few center forwards. Pilar Musa, who arrived in the summer after an impressive spell at Boavista. Uh, Roman Yaremchuk came for a decent bit of money. Uh, after an impressive display for Ukraine in the Euros. Um, Henrik Araujo, promising uh, striker, hasn't played that much with the first team, but could be another Seychelles talent to take the leap. But right now, the man in form, the man starting at the center forward position is Gonzalo Hamos, playing alongside Rafa Silva and David Neres in the front three be interesting to see if Benfica do get another recruit in. Obviously, they've been trying to sign Ricardo Horta since the since the season ended, but uh, it 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 seems like more and more hurdles are being presented that they may have to come up with other options. Um, but Gonzalo Ramos, let's talk about this man. Twenty one years of age, just turned twenty one in June and has started August with a hat-trick against Michland, an assist in the, in the league opener against Arauca, a, another assist against Michland, um, and all those were uh, pretty comfortable victories. One game that was not a comfortable victory, though, going to Casapia in their first uh, top-flight match in 83 years, um, technically going to Leiria, their not their stadium, but playing playing Casapia and uh, scoring in a one nothing win, uh, very gritty victory for them that that sees them remain uh, level on points with Porto atop the league table uh, before scoring on the cusp of halftime um, against Dynamo Kiev. So that is five official matches for for Benfica, each of which Ramos has made a goal contribution. Um, and it's it's an interesting one because I do think that Benfica, they they have, they, they seem like they have been trying to put him on the market, get some feelers out for him, try to gauge the interest and potentially sell him to, to, uh, to raise money for a move for Ricardo Horta. And, you know, as good as Ricardo Horta is, Right now, the way I'm thinking of this is, you know, is Ramos, is, is Horta good enough to for, for, for them to sacrifice a player like Ramos, who I feel like one year down the line, this man could be twice as much as he's worth. You know, this man could be going for Darwin money. Um, he's a really intriguing center forward. I do think that he, he should stay at Benfica for another year um, and develop with, because let's not forget, this man was not a regular starter for them last season. And I'm not a huge fan of players 
leaving Portugal when they haven't done so. Um, but obviously Fabio Vieira is, is an example of a player who who's shown you don't need to be a first name on the team sheet to get a big move. But it's it's an interesting one. I, I think that Gonzalo Hamas, though, he's he's playing very well. He's playing like a man who who's who's just the only thing on his, on his mind, you know, I don't know if I'm going to stay. I don't know if I'm going to go. Right now, though, I just need to make people forget about, about Darwin, and I need to prove that I am better than all the other center forwards on Benfica's squad right now. Yeah, well, it, it's funny to think that you lose a player of Darwin's ability and you go into a season probably looking better in attack. I don't know. I didn't think I'd say that, but uh, Darwin got 26 league goals. But again, a lot was on his shoulders, and maybe him leaving now is has freed it up for, for Ramos. And obviously, yeah, there's been loads of transfer speculation about him over the last six months or so, but uh, I'm with you. I would hope that he would stay. I think it's, it's you know, players can want too much too quickly in their careers. If they want to move on, fine. But, you know, he's 21. He is really young. He is still learning his trade. Look at someone like Fabio Silva, who moved on far too young, in my opinion struggled because I don't think he was ready for that step up you know it's a different country different language different culture different style etc so um far away fields and all that you know he, he can be a Benfica hero which is an absolutely huge club in the world um and if you talked about one year down the line if you compare him now to a year ago I think he had a couple of early starts George Jesus threw him in at the start of the season and you're going why is he starting you know he's great record at youth level but come on is he is he really ready and uh you look at his stats now i think six of his seven league goals um last season came in 2022 he got that goal at anfield in the champions league that three all draw in the second leg that really seems to have uh helped him to grow and now he just looks like he is the player that everyone was talking about you can see uh, that the hype was justified a couple of years ago when he was first coming through. And I think you look at someone like uh, Jota at Celtic who came through very young, looked good every time he came on. And then whether it was the club misused, misused him or um, the loan moves didn't work out, he lost a bit of confidence. I think Benfica probably now would be like, well, maybe he, he should still be at Benfica because he's he's a really exciting young talent and and and, you know, any any fan wants uh, you know young guys coming through their club local heroes that kind of thing um, so Ramos like you say just turned 21 and really starting to to prove his worth because he's he's keeping some good players out you know Seferovic obviously went off the boil the last couple of years Yeremchuk was brought in for big money but Ramos is starting ahead of him and Ramos is justifying his inclusion um, you know his goal some might say it was simple against uh, Kiev after they won the ball high up the pitch. First time, bang, you know, his goal at the weekend. Again, Casafia, first home game, promoted. It's always going to be tough. Um, but he, if you if you watch that goal again, just look at the desire. Look at it. It's a ball across from Rafa. Fantastic player, always going to create something. But you have to want it more than someone else. You have to have that instinct when to make your move what's going to happen and it's just that split second decision and Ramos goes I'm going to go for this I'm going to make this cross mine I'm going to get a goal and it was the crucial goal it got Benfica three points especially with with young players you always want to see that development it comes a certain point maybe 22 23 
are they making the right decisions in games? I would have seen him early last season where he's not playing the right pass or he's, you know, shooting too early. And now it looks like he is starting to learn and make those decisions. And that obviously comes from experience. And now he has that confidence to go with it. And he has these players around him who are going to create chances for him. Neres, Fernandez, Rafa Silva. You know, it's, it's, it's really exciting. And he has that competition. He, he knows that if he slacks off, you know, Enrique Araujo is the next man in, the next big uh, Portuguese star to come through, who, by the way, I was so impressed by in the last game of the season. He got two goals against Passos de Ferreira. You could say a meaningless game, but this is another young uh, Benfica Academy player coming through who looks really, really good. So they're not short of options. And if I were him, I would definitely stay around because, again, you've got another season of Champions League football to come, but this time you're the main man. You know, why, why would you leave to go and maybe move to you know, a, a bigger club, bigger budget, whatever it might be, and maybe not get in the team and, you know, be used for 10 minutes here and there when you can be an absolute hero for Benfica and you could be the guy that drives them to the title and makes them go on another great European run, you know. So he shouldn't be in any rush and I don't think the club should be in any rush to sell him either. So we've discussed the first uh, European qualifier of the week there has been another, though, um, in the Europa Conference League. So not the Champions League, but the Europa Conference League. Um, you know, you, you don't have to be an expert in Portuguese football to know that pretty much every year, the same big four are going to be Benfica, Porto, and Sporting, you know, finishing the top three with Braga, getting fourth place, um, and the the next two after that that to to qualify for Europe kind of a bit of a uh, a crapshoot you know you don't really know who's going to be that uh, team I think that's that's a bit more unpredictable than than figuring out the the top four of course but um, last year in in 2020-21 we saw Passos de Vejeda finish fifth Santa Clara finish sixth. So both those teams uh, getting into the Euro first ever Europa Conference League qualifiers. Um, Santa Clara getting eliminated in uh, to to Partizan Belgrade in uh, the club's first ever European campaign in club history. Uh, Pasos de Vejeda, um losing to Tottenham Hotspur. They did banter them off in a. Uh, in, in a uh, ad, which I think is is a moral victory, but not an actual victory. Um, this year, we've seen Vitoria de Guimaraes um, getting past Puskas Academia, a Hungarian team, um, before losing to Croatian giants Hajduk Split. Uh, so that meant that Gil Vicente, a team that played their first ever uh, European game in, in, in the club's 98-year history. Gil Vicente, the Por Portugal's lone uh, representative in Europe. Um, Gil Vicente, you know, been an interesting few, few, uh, few months for them, shall we say. Obviously, finishing fifth, a massive accomplishment for them, qualifying to Europe for the first time in the club's 98-year history, and yet losing so many assets in manager Ricardo Suarez, 
Brazilian winger Samuel Lino, midfield metronome Pedrinho, um, and you know that has seen uh, Jill beating beating Riga in the Europa Conference League qualifiers, the Latvian side, beating Passos de Ferreira narrowly, um, and then losing at Arauca, then taking on Az Alkmaar, um, taking on the Dutch side, and losing 4 nothing in the Netherlands. So, you know, it was a pretty big loss. Obviously, in football, nothing is impossible, but going to be very difficult for them to turn around a four-goal deficit uh, in Barcelos. One thing that I would say kind of uh, peeved me a bit about this game is that it, I mean, you look at this team, and granted, it's hard to find, you know, what is Jill's strongest team considering the fact that they've lost so many key players, but one player, perhaps the only key player that they managed to hold on to who one player who did not start was Fran Navarro so Fran Navarro Spanish striker who did who scored um I believe 14-15 goals last season finished as the club's top scorer Fran Navarro was uh on the bench for this game actually an unused substitute so I don't know I felt it was a bit defeatist I I realized that uh, Ivo Vieira, he wanted to prioritize the upcoming match against Famalicão, but I don't know. It's I mean, two years, and it seems like none of the four Portuguese teams uh, are going to qualify for the Europa Conference League group stage. Um, and and one thing as well that that I think you know I, I think is is really telling about this is that you know just as it is so predictable. That 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 Benfica, Porto, Sporting, and Braga will finish in the big fo- in the top four. It is also predictable that a club that finishes fifth, sixth, or even seventh is going to have all of its assets raided. And I want to I want to I want to look at these teams individually. Um, Passos de Vejera, when they played their Europa Conference League qualifiers, they did so with a new manager, Pepa. Um, Peppa, Peppa, not Peppa Pig, like the cartoon show. Peppa, the manager, left for Vitoria de Guimarães after leading Passos to a fifth-place finish. And Peppa left Vitoria after leading them to the European football and nine days before their European qualifier. So uh, both Vitoria and Passos going into the Europa Conference League uh, with a new manager, with, with a manager, obviously a different manager to the one that led them to European qualification. Uh, Santa Clara, they are the only exception, um, but it should be noted that they did lose some key players. And Daniel Ramos, just weeks after uh, Santa Clara lost to Partizan, he would end up leaving as well to the uh, Middle East um, and yeah, leaving the club midway through the season and uh, of course, Ricardo Suarez, who took Gil Vicente to great things, to a fifth place finish. He is uh, in Egypt with the uh, African giants Al Ali. So, you know, it's, it's very hard to be entering uncharted territory. And that for a Portuguese team 
You know, you, you think about Portugal, arguably the sixth best league in the world. You know, they should not have an issue getting to, let's be honest, the third rate European competitions group stage. And yet, I don't know, it, it almost seems like there's, there's an issue with the mentality. You know, these smaller teams, they realize they can't keep hold of their, of their managers, of their best players. And I don't know, I feel like that the, the, this game against Azalkmar, for me, it was almost like a metaphor for, for so much of what's wrong with Portuguese football. You know, you have, these, you have this team, Gil Vicente, should be embracing a historic moment in facing off against Azalkmar. And it seems like they threw in the towel before the game even began. Yeah, um, what I would say is that a disadvantage for for some Portuguese teams is, you know, they're victims of their success, uh, both as a league and uh, these type of teams you're talking about. As a league, because it's ranked so high, they start off a bit later in European competition. Some of the teams they end up facing are mid-season or have played a few more matches or have crucially come through a round or two before they face them. So they have that kind of, uh, you know, they've they've been battle-hardened and They've, like Azed, for example, they beat uh, Dundee United in the last round. They got their scare in the first leg, lost one nil uh, away, and then won the second seven nil. You know, so um, Azed, we're not going to take that game lightly, for example. Um, and and then these these teams that we're talking about, you know, if they do well, um, a lot of players and seemingly a lot of managers think that. Okay, now's now's the time. I've I can't do better than this with this team. So now I've got to jump at the next chance. And um, I'm happy for Ricardo Suarez. He's he's done pretty well for himself because I think he got a he, one of a number of managers who got a raw deal at Morarange. He went on and did brilliantly with Joe uh, Vicente and is now in charge of the most successful team in Africa. So you know you you cannot knock him for for you know taking that opportunity. Very well paid huge club um pepa as you say one season wonder with a couple of teams and uh, now again presumably got a big big financial offer to go to to saudi arabia um last season i think was wasn't so bad because pasos did beat spurs it was a weakened spurs side but they did beat them in the first leg it was the last hurdle um santa clara won through a couple of rounds i think and and then had um had uh, COVID problems around that time as well. They were missing a few players. Uh, they also lost uh, one of their best players, I think, right before the before the end, um, and and uh, you know before that that round. Um, and yeah, you look at a Portuguese team looking losing to a Dutch team, but that's a pretty good Dutch team that has a bit more continuity and is you know finishing top four regularly in in the Netherlands. Um, you know, gave Celtic a good go last year in in um, in European qualifying before moving on in the Conference League. I think they got to the knockout stages, and um, so they're they're a tough enough draw. Hydric split, yeah, not so much. But again, you're looking at the obviously that the teams that some of the teams are coming up with uh, up against will face the same problems in terms in terms of losing players. But it was one of the things I think um, Rio Ave's head coach uh, said ahead of one of the early matches of the season. It's not necessarily true in that you said, um, you know, the smaller teams have more problems at the start of the season because they lose so many players. But um, the, 
the um you know that's that's a problem that the big three face as well but obviously Porto Sporting and Benfica are much better able to replace any players they lose and they get much bigger fees as well than the likes of Passos, Gil Vicente, uh, all these teams, uh, they, they have much more problems, uh, much uh, bigger problems at this stage of the season because they often lose like Samuel Lino for, uh, for Gil Vicente, their key player from the season before. Um, and it's very rare to see that happen um, to a team, you know, or to see it happen so late in the transfer window like we've seen with Sporting now, losing Mateus Nunes. It's not going to affect them initially in Europe, but often you see it in in with these uh, lower ranked sides where they lose a player like uh, a week out from a massive European game. And how do you deal with that? And again, these teams with new coaches that takes time as well. So it's it's a tricky one. I think if these teams get through to the group stage, they will do well because they will gel and they'll get a bit more continuity to their side. But they often are not in a good position to play these games. And I think that's that's happened again this year. And a lack of experience as well. Look at the the scoreline from the Netherlands this week. Gilles Vicente conceded so it was it three goals in the last 15 minutes or whatever it was. You know, that's max of a team that is not experienced at this level. We've conceded a second, right, guys? Keep the tie alive. You know, let's do everything to make sure we can have a chance of turning it around, which is not the case uh, in, in this tie. Some very intriguing matches in the third match day of uh, the Primera Liga campaign. Gil Vicente hosting Famalicao, Portimonense hosting Vitoria de Guimarães, Braga as well hosting Marichimo, uh, Boa Vista going to Casa Pia, um, Chaves hosting Vizela, Estoril hosting Huav, and Santa Clara hosting Arauca. But the big kahuna, the first Clásico of the season is coming on Saturday as Porto host Sporting at the Estadio de Dragao. Porto currently top of the table, one of uh, four teams to have won every single match so far alongside Benfica, Vitoria, uh, as well as Boa Vista. So they're going to be looking to, you know, send a statement with a victory um, at the Dragao. Interesting time for both teams, though. I mean, Porto obviously had coming off a year that saw them win the domestic double finish with the most points in the history of Portuguese football and lose various key players in Fabio Vieira, Vitinha, Chancel and Bemba. And sporting on the other hand, they did lose Joao Paulinha to Fulham. It, it, almost a bit of deja vu. They were looking to, you know, hold on to their you know, the, the core of their squad almost seemed like they were foregoing uh, signing a lot more players than they could have with, with the purpose of holding on to these key players. So essentially keeping a, sh- a smaller squad for, for, the, for the prerogative of keeping these key players. Um, but just like last season, where they ended up losing Nuno Mendes on the final day of the transfer window, uh, getting Pablo Sarabia on loan in return, but but losing Nuno to Paris Saint-Germain. They have suffered a major blow in the final weeks of the transfer window, selling Mateus Nunes to Wolves for 45 million euros plus 5 million in add-ons. Uh, I'll be honest, I was a bit surprised with this one. Mateus has had plenty of interest from 
Wolves rejected a few interests from them in, in the past few uh, past few weeks. Uh, has also had interest from West Ham and other clubs. It seemed to me like he was holding out for a top Premier League side, a team that, um, you know, talking about likes of Arsenal, uh, Manchester City, Liverpool, that kind of caliber. But he has ended up joining Wolves. And obviously, I think I think it's a great signing for them. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. But this really could not have come at a worse time for sporting. Just days before uh, a do-or-die clash at the, at the Dragao. And they are going to be going to Porto with a midfield double pivot of uh, new signing Hidamasa Morita and... Uh, Manuel Ugarte, two good players in their own respect. Two players who I don't believe have started. They they have not started together um, in official competition. They may have done so in, in preseason. I'm not sure. But looking past that, I mean, you've got Mateus gone, João Paulinho gone, Daniel Braganza with a season-ending injury. So apart from Morita and Ugarte, you've got... The, the only midfield options that you've got at Sporting um, are, are players in the academy level with Dario Esugo, Mateus Fernandez, you know, players of that ilk. And I think it's clear that Sporting need to go to the transfer uh, market to, to replace, to, to, to reinforce that, that midfield. But obviously they won't be able to get a signing uh, in time for this game. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on Mateus's departure. How do you think he'll shape up under Bruno Lodge in the Premier League? And how big of a blow is this going to be for Sporting going into the match against Porto? I think it's huge. Uh, I'm, and I'm really surprised that they've let him go now. Um, because surely they could have said, OK, you can go. But after this game, you know, you see that so often in... in you know, their leagues where, uh, you know, a player goes right after playing the big derby, you know, it's like, absolutely, you got to hold on to him. And part of it's the the nature of the transfer market, the nature of the the way the fixtures were drawn, you're getting Porto on match day three, but surely you got to keep hold of him, especially having lost Joao Palinha as well. And it's 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 not just um, Mateus, it's, if you think back to the team that won the title, there's Joao Mario Mateus was you know, half and half starter uh, substitute came up with some really big goals. So you've lost, you know, three key midfielders, Braganza as well, like you say, with the crucial ligaments injury. How can you go into a key stage of the season that light when you're when you are a club um, that has big ambitions that is in the Champions League group stage again, you know, that made the knockout round of, of the Champions League last season. So it was really surprising. I think he's going to do really well. I think... Uh, if you look at the history of Portuguese players moving, uh, particularly to England in the last few years, uh, Bruno Fernandes, Ruben Diaz, Darwin started well. Okay, the, the red card we'll, we'll forget about for now. Um, you know, it's, it seems a pretty good bet. Joao Paulinho has been brilliant. Uh, he was superb against Liverpool on the opening day in the Premier League. Pretty good bet to sign Portuguese players and still probably cheaper than a lot of players uh, that these kind of teams would be, would be looking at, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I think he's going to fit in very well. I think Bruno Lage uh, was probably a factor and the Portuguese influence in general at Wolves. Um, 
really interested to see how how he'll do. But I think his game is is pretty much perfect for the Premier League. It was perfect for Sporting. And uh, is Morita going to be able to replace him? Remains to be seen. But I don't think he's going to be able to do so straight away. In that, um, it's very hard to ask a, a new arrival to to come in and and get slotted in on, on one of his first appearances for the club and be at his very best. Um, Ugace is, you know, like for like replacement for Balinha, and I think that was common. That was his signing was was clearly one that was you know planned with Balinha's uh, departure in mind, and they've done that in other ways. I guess signing Marcus Edwards and guys like that in, in, in January transfer windows before uh, race was there replacing Nuno Mendes. But if you look at his departure late in the transfer window, but they did get Sarabia in uh, as part of that deal, pretty much, and he turned into a really key player last season. So now it's 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 really interesting to see where they go because we saw last season Porto don't drop many points. You know, even if it is a different uh, Porto side, they don't drop many points. So and they certainly don't drop many points outside of of, of these big matches. So. This is a chance for Sporting to strike a blow early in the season, and they're going into it a little undercooked. You could say the thing, the same thing about Porto, and that they've lost key players. But it was interesting, Vizela, their coach, Alvaro Pacheco, before the, the Porto game last week, Porto were not good in that game. They were very lucky to win in Marcano, uh, last-minute header. Um, you know, He said ahead of that game, the biggest strength that Porto have is Sergio Conceição. And his ability to reinvent the team over and over again, despite losing key players. You know, I've been pretty much full time on 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 the Portuguese league since Conceição arrived, so sixth season, I think. And uh, you think back, there was François Abubakar, there was Yassine Brahimi, there was uh, Herrera, all these players. You think, oh, if Porto lose these guys, what are they going to do? How are they going to replace them? And they just seem to do it every time. And I think. They are in a good position again. You know, that last week, it's a cliche, but right, they didn't play well, but they still won the game. Did they have one eye on on, on this weekend? Probably. Um, and I saw Sergio, Sergio Conceição was, was stirring the pot a little bit in the, in the pre-match press conference saying, you know, I expect Ruben Amarim is, is pretty annoyed right now losing such a key player at this stage of the season. So... I don't know. It's it's hard. It's sporting to me are going through that phase where they're still, you know, they had this success, unprecedented success in many ways. Last season, disappointed not to back it up with another league title, but still won trophies. Got really far in Europe, but they're still going through that stage of, you know, if, if there was a formula, uh, every club would be doing it. They're going through that stage of just learning how to deal with these players, losing these players at different times. It's not, you know, it can be unexpected. We don't know what's gone on behind the scenes, but timing-wise, it's pretty terrible for Sporting to lose a player of, of that caliber. Yeah, big blow, obviously. Um, obviously, no player for Sporting is more important than Ruben Amorim, just like no player for Porto is more important than Sergio Conceição. One thing as well that I think that Conceição has done a great job of is really adapting to his squad's makeup you know I think that we're seeing a bit of a different Porto in the early weeks than last season you know you're you're missing these creative midfielders like Fabio Vieira 
and Vitinha. And in many ways, they've sort of gone down, gone back to the Porto of two or three years ago with kind of more of an industrious midfield pairing of Marco Grujic uh, alongside Mateo Soribe, two, shall we say, midfield destroyers playing alongside each other. Clear that Porto still are trying to get in another midfielder mm-hmm. after um, after signing Andre Franco from Estoril. I expect them to sign another central midfielder to fill Vitinha's void. But uh, you've got you've got those two players playing alongside each other in the double pivot. You've got players like Dani Namaso, Lother, Pepe, uh, in enjoying some playing time as well. Um, curious, you know, what have you made of this new look? Porto team um, obviously ran into some difficulty against Vizela, just like Benfica ran into some difficulty against Casapia. Left it late, had to snatch a one nothing win uh, in extra time via in in the 90th minute via um, Ivan Marcano. But I'm curious, you know, where do you see this Porto team going into this uh, Clasico? Are there any concerns you have with? with midfield attack or, or defense. I know that I think defense that, that could be a tricky one. Marcano, despite the fact that he's uh, he's done well in Porto's opening a few games. I do feel like him and Pepe that's combined age of uh, that's combined age of 74. (laughs) Those two players, 39 and 35. That's yeah. Combined age of 74. Um, and I don't know, I feel like against a fluid front three of Marcus Edwards, Francisco Trincao, and Pedro Gonçalves, I would expect Sporting to go with that front three, given the fact that their only real center forward in the squad, Paulinho, is injured. Um, and I feel like almost that could be a blessing in disguise for them, because Paulinho, he's, he's, he, he hasn't lived up to his price tag, but Amorim has been, I think, in many ways, uh, too loyal to him and, and too stubborn to change things up. I think that this this gives him the opportunity to, ch- to change things up, to try something that's that's a bit more unpredictable, right? With players like Pedro Gonçalves, Trincao, and Edwards kind of exchanging positions and, and trying to pull out uh, a defensive pairing of, of, of Pepe and Marcano which you know, I expect that to be the central, uh, the the center back pairing. Given the fact that David Carmo still is not at full fitness yet, but what what do you think are the biggest areas where Sporting can do damage to this Porto team? In attack is 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 clearly uh, based on on last week's win. Um, I did that game as well, so I, I was covering the Sporting game and the Porto game last week to very very contrasting wins sporting uh took a while to get going against Rio Ave but uh when they did you know that that front three was was electric and uh Gonçalves caused two goals uh Edwards was involved in in a couple of goals Trincao as well and there were a couple other moments in the game where there was just fantastic link-up play between those three Trincao seems to fit the ground running which is great Edwards um you know, again, Amorim can can take a while to to um, put these players in, and uh, you know, 
Edwards could have been used a bit more towards the back end of last season, but started to show his quality. I remember, his, I think it was his first goal, was, was a screamer against his former team, Vittoria. Um, but he's got six months behind him. He was always a player I was watching, thinking he is perfect for one of the one of the big three teams in Portugal. Um, so that is that's where they got to go for it. You know, they got to exploit um, as good as good as they are. Marcano and Pepe. There's only there were vulnerabilities there. Vizela didn't have a huge number of chances, but they certainly had chances, and there were uncomfortable moments for for both centre halves in, in in last week's game. So, um, well, midfield will be a worry. I think uh, Grujic, um I've seen he's he's missed a couple of training sessions. Otavio, I would expect, will come back in anyway, which you know should. Um, should strengthen Porto, in my opinion. Um, he was suspended for the first couple of games of the season, so um, he'll come back in midfield. This is a worry um, for, for if you're a sporting fan, I'd imagine. But um, you know, Porto really weren't good. They really weren't good the last the last week. Um, you know, both fullbacks had their had their problems. Romario is not a natural defender, obviously, having been converted to to fullback. Um, so can Sporting win enough of the ball and, and be on the ball enough just to get that front three working and and buzzing around uh, and really annoying the the the, the, the centre-back pairing of Porto? I think that's going to be the key because I think it's probably, again, we're talking about Porto Sporting, but all these matches against Benfica this season are going to be really important as well. So if a team can win one of these matches, it's going to be crucial. You know, Porto didn't. Last season, they didn't need to against Sporting, but I think uh, three points in any of these matches is going to be big, and Porto will feel that they know how to do enough in these games. It's been the hallmark of Conceição's team. I didn't enjoy them a couple of years ago, i got to say. Uh, they really dug out these results, and you know, you think they had Luis Diaz, they had Vitinha, Fabio Vieira in the last year or so. They were much more uh pleasing on the eye but Porto you know home advantage as well I think that's going to play a part it wouldn't surprise me if it's a draw but I think Porto are going to be a lot better than last week I think Sporting are going to struggle they're going to struggle just coping with losing a player who played 100 matches for them you know no matter who it is but someone who knows the club inside out knows how, how the manager works and in such a key position in midfield, having also lost Rapalina, it's very much a new ground for for Sporting, and they're going to have to show some real character, I think, to get a to get a positive result. So far this season, on the new uh, season of Cortalinias, we have uh, discussed Gabriel Verón, Porto's new uh, Brazilian signing, with an Englishman, Harry Brooks. Uh, second episode, we discussed all things Braga with an American uh, Braga fan, Johnny Gomes, now discussing uh, all things Portuguese football with an Irishman in Mark Ryan. Um, and, and, you know, one of the benefits of having someone with such a diverse knowledge is you, you can really discuss a lot of different, uh, a lot of different teams. I want to talk a little bit about the third place team in the Primera right now. Boa Vista. They've once again lost a few key players over the past summer. Lost Nathan, the Brazilian wingback, to uh, Santos. Lost Peter Musa, their top scorer, to 
Benfica lost Ecuadorian center back Jackson Porozo to uh, Troyes and yet uh, doing fairly well, uh, winning at Portimonense, one nothing. not an easy ground to get a win at, uh, before taking on Santa Clara and uh, conceding uh, early on. Santa Clara, though, going down to 10 men after halftime. Boavista equalizing and then grabbing a 2-1 win. Santa Clara, uh, two games in the league and three red cards. Not quite a sustainable pattern, if I if I must say so myself. But Boavista will be happy. They have taken six points from two games. They're going to be uh, going to Casapia this weekend. We'll try to make that nine from three. But uh, it does seem like Petit has got this team really clicking on all cylinders. You know, I, I think that he's done a great job at the club since since, since taking charge um, last year. And I'm curious, you know, Boavista, a team with, with such a massive fan base, I think that apart from uh, the, the, apart from the big three, you know, how many teams in Portugal have a bigger fan base than Boavista? Maybe Vitoria, maybe Braga. I think that's maybe it. Um, but it's been a while. I, I feel like it's been a while since they've been in Europe. Could this be the year that the Axadrezados, Porto's other team, uh, make the leap into Europe? Yeah, it would be a certain symmetry there because uh, their coach was uh, a player when they when they won the league um, at the turn of the century, 2001, wasn't it? And almost made the, the UEFA Cup uh, final as it was then. Um, a little unlucky to, to lose to Celtic uh, back in 02, wasn't it? Um, so he's come back. He started his managerial career there. Um, God, his... His uh, Valencia's team was horrible to watch. They, well, by accident or design, they they just you know couldn't kept it tight, but just couldn't score goals. So uh, it's it's interesting. He he kind of came in and uh, has made a, a big big impact since coming back in in December. Um, when you know his previous club was 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 on the way down. And I, it's interesting. It's just been such a dogfight. We're talking about the top of the table, but it's been such a dogfight um, at the bottom of the table in the last couple of seasons. If you remember, uh, Boavista two years ago had, uh, you know, the, the veteran coach Oswaldo Ferreira came in and, and saved the day, but right at the death, you know, it was such an epic uh, relegation battle then. And it's, it's, it's key in any division, obviously. But, you know, if you get a couple of wins at the start of the season, suddenly Boavista are thinking, right, well, we're not going from mid-table anymore. We're, we're going uh, to pick up, uh, you know, plenty of points and, and see where it takes us. Because, again, as you say, fifth, sixth, it's usually been open. You know, there's been four or five teams, I think, in, in, in the running um, the last few years um, for, for those positions. And momentum is important in football, obviously, and there's not been, I don't think, as much of uh, an upheaval at Boa Vista as in, in, in previous years. They have players who've been there a while. They've, uh, you know, Seba Perez in midfield is good. Yusuf Nji, um, good striker as well, who knows the league. Reggie Cannon, uh, American, who's uh, got a couple of seasons behind him as well. Um, you know, so... 
I don't know. Can can they can they finish in the top five or six? I don't see why not because um, if you have a solid team, that's hard to beat. Which is something that uh, their coach has proven in the past. You know, they were Belenenses were under him. They were the team that had the most draws. I think pretty much every season. You know, so they are. He, he knows how to organize a side, and then if you can add a bit of confidence and a few goals, and start to win some tight games. Again, I think it probably always helps when you have a guy who knows the club, who knows the fan base, who knows what works. Um, his first full season back at Boa Vista started really well, so why not? You know, they have a winnable game at the weekend, three from three. You know, it doesn't take all that many points, actually, to get, you know, uh, fifth or sixth in Portugal because so many teams are, are you know, uh, finely balanced below the, the big three or four. So, um, yeah, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, just to uh, go back to what you're saying, only, uh, only, uh, only 19 points separating Morrens, who were relegated in the relegation playoff, and uh, sixth place Vitoria, who sealed the final European spot. Just 19 points separating them. Uh, it is very tight in the middle of the pack. Boavista, you know, became the second. Portuguese team in 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 the history of Portugal, a uh, second team outside of Portugal's big three to win the Primera title in 2001, that same team that had the likes of Petit on that team. One year later, uh, they played in the Champions League, made it through the first group stage, uh, were eliminated in the second group stage, kind of anachronistic things that Someone like me, I, I I have no idea what two group stages are. You you were probably old enough to remember. I know you mentioned Celtic, great memory, by the way. Uh, the, in 2002-2003, um, uh, Boavista ended up beating um, Hibernians before losing to Auger. Those are two blasts from the past, aren't mm-hmm. they? Um, before going to the UEFA Cup, now called the Europa League, making it all the way to the semifinals where they would lose to Celtic, who in turn would lose to uh, losing to Celtic in the semifinals, who would in turn lose to uh, Jose Mourinho's Porto in the 2003 UEFA Cup. So since that run to the UEFA Cup semifinals in 2003, Boavista have not managed to return to Europe. It has been 20 years, 20 years since this great club made it to Europe. Can they get back in it? Can they get get back into Europe? You know, that's going to be one really interesting question. I think that the past few years, given the amount of upheaval at the club, they've probably been fine. You know, we'll, we'll take staying up. But now, can their aim be a little higher? I think that's something that's going to be very interesting to see. I know. For the sake of a club as big as them, I, I hope they make a go of it. You know, I, I think it's going to be a very fascinating battle. Um, but once again, you know, going back to what we were talking about at the start of the episode, can they keep hold of these key players and their managers? That that hasn't been the case with Gil Vicente, Paso, Santa Clara, and Vitoria. You know, can it be the case for the next? I'm not too sure. But uh, we'll be very interesting to see what happens Mark, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to have someone with the breadth, the breadth of knowledge 
uh, on Portuguese Football AQ, and and definitely uh, hope it will not be the last time you are on Cortelinhas. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. So uh, look forward to the next one. Definitely check out Mark uh, and his work on on uh, on M r o d d e n on twitter you can follow him there and as well check him out on his commentary jobs uh it was absolutely fantastic to have you on my friend i hope everyone as well has enjoyed listening and uh yeah we will have more podcasts for you on cortelinish so definitely stay tuned uh for btl's weekly podcast on portuguese football thank you so much